Good to have you back here on Sports Talk. Away we go on a championship Monday. That's right. Championship basketball around college hoops all weekend long, all week long. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. That means we've got games for you. Starting tomorrow at 3 with the UTEP women. They got a date with UTSA. That's going to be a big one for them because if uh, the Miners uh, win the 6-7 matchup, that allows them to play Wednesday in the quarterfinals. And that'll be a 10.30 a.m. game. But first things first, they got to win. And as we've all been following the Utah women's basketball team, uh, it has not been an easy conference uh, schedule for them at all. They have been uh, really struggling all conference long. They lost to Rice. They lost to North Texas. They're trying to get their bearings, and hopefully they can figure out how to beat UTSA. Here's an interesting stat for you, folks. Kevin Baker is in his fifth season as a UTEP coach, okay? In every year that Kevin Baker has been at UTEP, he has always won his first tournament game with the Miners. He has never lost in the first uh, round, whether it's the quarterfinals, whether it's the play-in, whether it's the semis. Never lost. He's always he's always won his first game every year, and we'll see if this is going to be any different. So, uh, again, this will be a, a big one tomorrow, uh, 3 o'clock here. We'll have it for you. And then Mondo the Monster Medina is going to call the action from Frisco. I'm a little disappointed I'm not making the trip, but I'm not broadcasting games this year. So if I was broadcasting the games, I probably would be there just like Mondo's doing it. But he took it over after Hags had it a year ago. And, you know, it's been two years since I was at Frisco. And the last time I was in Frisco, um, COVID broke out. And maybe I need to stay away from Frisco after that. Maybe that's enough for me to say, you know what? I really don't need to get back anytime soon for that because I never forget it. It was a crazy situation, but Hey, I'm excited. I love the minor fans that are going to be making the trips down. There. There's going to be a bunch of them going. And then Wednesday at seven, UTEP and Old Dominion in the men, which we're going to talk about here on the show today. So we got a ton of basketball to talk about. Sule Boom got screwed. There is no denying it. Conference USA sucks. And man, oh man, how many times do I talk about how much I this league just drives me crazy? They give zero respect uh, to, to UTEP players, and it's been like that forever. And come on, the guy leads the league in scoring, and he doesn't get in first team after the kind of season he's had. And you want to know something? Some people uh, have called Sule uh, Boom a one-dimensional player. That was valid prior to this year, but I look at what he's seen more from him this season with Joe Golding. The defense, the hustle, the 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 assists, uh, they shared the ball. He's done more to – he knows he can score. The thing about Sule is he knows he can score. Saturday, he had two points at the half. He finished with over 20. I mean, the man knows how to put, put the ball in the hole. But you want to know something? It, it, you know, it's he's he shared the ball. He's been a really good team player. Um, you know, he's been a big part of this club. And everybody who watches Utah basketball knows what Sule Boom can do. So, to me, to not have him as a first-team uh, player is an absolute uh, travesty. But we'll get into that uh, a little bit more. Right, Adrian? Uh, we'll, we'll dive deeper into that later in the show today. Yeah, just real quick stat for you to know. Last year, Jameer Young, he received first-team honors after leading Conference USA in scoring. But Charlotte finished just 9-16. and 16. Look at what happens this year. Sule Boom leads Conference USA in scoring, and the Miners finish 18-12. and 12. That's their record overall. Yeah, I mean, that's just I, – I, I can't for the life of me. And by the way, Jamal Biennemi deserves are better than third team too while we're at it you you know you, you make boom first team the enemy second team i'll be happy but to give 
you know, second and third team honors and seeing who's above them. Oh, that was it's listen, this league. I don't know who votes. Do we know who votes this stuff? Yes. Is it the coaches? So it's coaches. It's uh, it's also information um, directors as well, Steve. And then it's um, it's me. It's one, I guess, member of the media panel or, or however they they distribute it like that. But this is how they say it officially. It's the league's coaches, the sports information directors, and a media representative from each school. Okay, listen. I'm going to tell you something right now. Okay. Um, a media representative from each school. That's correct. All right. Well, that's not me. So it's probably Bloomquist, or so, or John Teicher. Could it be him? No, because I mean he's 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 on the staff. So I mean, he would fall under sports information director, maybe. I think it's got to be Bloomy. Okay. I do. I okay. think it has to be Bloomy, uh, unless it's a TV guy. But that also it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, Bloomquist is the one that's around him the most. If anybody should be the one to vote, it should be Brett. Right? It really should be. So, and I haven't seen a tweet from Brett. To, let me see here. Brett hasn't tweeted since February 11th. So I don't know anything about what, what happened today with him. But the truth is this. This should be only the coaches. As far as I'm concerned, if you really want to give out awards, eh, you know what? Blow off the sports information directors because some of them don't even get a chance to see uh, UTEP or other teams. So it's tough. I just make it the coaches and, and let them decide and, and do it the right way. Because, again, how Sule was left off first team is beyond me. I mean, the... I, I understand if you're on like the East Division and you don't necessarily vote Sule Boom or, or stuff like that. Also, an, another thing that I saw today, Steve, I saw that there are four guards listed in the first team all conference, only one forward. So some even argued, oh, well, uh, Bell should have been thrown in from North Texas, not McKnight. So, you know, all these different things. Point is, if you're a leading scorer, yeah. you're a leading scorer. That's bottom line for me. Uh, they were a fourth seed in the Conference USA West Division. They finished with an 18, uh, 18 and 12 overall record. So Sule Boom deserved to be on that first team list. He was robbed. Oh, and to me, his game's improved. And that's the one thing I'll say this. I mean, I mean, to me, Sule Boom in 2022 is a much different basketball player than Sule Boom in 2021. Yeah. And no. same with Jamal enemy. Completely different. There was an argument last year that uh, a third-team all-conference selection for Sule Boom was generous toward, uh, you know, just speaking um, in, in regards to how inefficient he was at, at some points in scoring. Like you referenced on Saturday, he scores just two points in the first half, but in the second half, he does it from the free-throw line. He picks his spots yes. this year. He knows what he needs to bring to the table this year, and it's not just scoring. It's also being a rebounder, helping out defensively, helping out a accumulate steals on defense and and diving on loose balls like Sule Boom does it all and he was robbed of this honor again. I'm with you on that one. I'm with you. So uh, we'll talk more about that later in the show. We'll talk more UTEP later in the show. Uh, I want to get to the Calvin Ridley story because Mario Mocha is going to join us 10 minutes from now and we're going to talk to the uh, director of athletics for New Mexico State because he just dropped a big one today on this brand new premium seating uh, suites that they're going to be building at the Pan Am Center. And when we had Jim Center on and we were talking about the ha- the Haskins Center, he mentioned it was on his wish list. Well, uh, I know that you know Mario is going to beat him to the punch because they're obviously going to start a, uh, a an upgrade in in bringing suites that is going to take about 500 seats out of the Pan Am, but it's going to it's going to suddenly add six suites to one end of the arena and in between the the uh, suites they're gonna have a, a small little club space so it's not much but I'll say this uh it's definitely when you talk about adding income suddenly you're gonna be bringing you know between 200 and 250 a year 
in revenue, that's a big deal. That's that is huge. a big, big deal. Yeah, Steve, and, and doing these kinds of things brings big, bigger sponsors to your arena. It yep. v- raises the value of your program. Look at what New Mexico, uh, New Mexico State is going through right now. They're going through a transition period where in a couple years they're going from the WAC to Conference USA, so they'll need as many of these sponsors as possible, and this creates a great opportunity for them. I don't think UTEP will be that far behind. I mean, I'm hoping that the Haskins Center uh, club you know, renovation will happen in the next two to three years, I would say, maybe, because they're, you know, now they're going to work on the second phase of the Sun Bowl with uh, the Durham Center upgrades and all that that they talked about. So I'm hoping that, you know, the Haskins Center is not far behind, but obviously the Aggies are getting a jump on things. So we'll talk to Mario about that uh, coming up here in a little less than 10 minutes from now. I got to ask about the Calvin Ridley story because this is a big one, folks. This really is. Um, you know, I can't remember the last time a prominent NFL player in the prime of his career was suspended a year for gambling. And this is something that, again, it just it blows your mind. Now, understand this. Sports gambling has exploded. Exploded. And now, thanks to smartphone technology and apps, it's easier than ever to gamble on sports. That being said, if you are an athlete, a professional athlete, and you're getting paid Uh, in Ridley's case, $11 million a year. You would think that even if you're away from the team, okay, because of uh, personal reasons, your mental health, you would not place a $1,500 bet on an app using your cell phone that then could be identified and directed towards you. Now, what's interesting to me is this, okay, what Calvin Ridley did, uh, he obviously thought he, there was nothing wrong with it or he would get away with it. That wasn't the case. But what's interesting to me is how many athletes out there, pro athletes, are doing the same thing as Ridley, but they're using, a, they're using somebody else to do it for them. They're not placing the bets so that ultimately they're not getting, uh, they're not going to be the ones that will you know be linked to it. So maybe they've got a, another person doing it and, and, I mean, sports gambling is so big right now, Adrian. This is something that they are going to really have to keep an eye on. And to be honest with you, I don't know how sports will be able to stay clean because it almost seems like a natural that because it's so easy to do, so many different athletes uh, might find a way to get involved uh, indirectly on, on something like this. Yeah, there's so many gambling websites in sports. There's so many state. There are becoming more states that have uh, uh, allowed ga- sports gambling in their own backyard. And now, Steve, we're seeing this uh, this come to light right here with Calvin Ridley. I'm with you on that. There are probably a lot more players out there who have handlers, who work with bookies, whatever it might be. Yes. But they're placing bets. You know it. And they play cards when they're when they're off and traveling at times. So I, I could see that definitely happening. Now, the interesting part on this as well, Steve, now there are players who are suspended a whole season for betting on games, and there are also rumors of owners uh, paying coaches to yes. lose games. So it's interesting where lines kind of blur right here. You always wonder what's kind of going on behind closed doors with these things. To be honest, if a coach pays somebody to lose games uh, or a, an owner pays a coach to lose games, uh, they should be forced to sell their franchise. Okay, that's that is just as bad as betting on games by far, by far. Paying a coach to tank? Are you kidding? What's the difference on that? How do we know the owner's then not trying to gamble and, and wager on his team to lose? 
That's a great point. I mean, I'm thinking NBA right now, too. Yes. Like some of those OKC uh, games, those Rocket games that you're watching, uh, where they're losing no matter what. They're pulling all their starters late in the game, and they want to lose those games in order to get the best draft uh, compensation they can get. And uh, in turn, the owners, they want to make some money on the side. So you never know. That's where shadiness in sports gambling comes uh, really can come into light, or it kind of um, you know performs in the background while we're all just watching the sport. Calvin Ridley sent out these tweets uh, since the last uh, two hours or so. So the first tweet says, I bet 1500 total. I don't have a gambling problem. That was his first line. Then he goes, I couldn't even watch football at that point. Follows it up with, just going to be more healthy when I come back. And then says, I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year, LOL. And finally, if you know me, you know my character. Now, once again, Someone making $11 million, what are you doing when you're away from your team? And, and he placed money on, the, on, his, on, on his team to beat the, um, the Jags, which they did, okay? It was part of a parlay or something like that, but come on. I mean, Calvin, you got you to gotta be better than that. I mean, unless you really don't care because you're forfeiting $11 million. Seems like a $1,500 bet is, um, you know, that's a, what would you rather do? Bet fifteen hundred bucks. Hope you don't get caught or uh, get eleven million for playing football. Yeah, come on. That's a, that's probably the worst gamble that you could ever make, right there. And I saw that joke being made on social media earlier today. But uh, you know, Calvin Ridley on a football in a football sense, Steve, we were wondering if he would be a highly coveted um, you know trade target for a lot of teams this off season. He'd be like the Julio Jones of this off season, yep. where a lot of teams would try to entertain and try to trade for him. And that was the case behind closed doors. Multiple NFL teams reached out to the Falcons to try to inquire about trading for Calvin Ridley, but Atla- Atlanta knowing full well what happened uh, you know, and what's going on in this investigation. They declined to even talk about these uh, trade discussions uh, that went on behind closed doors, and now we know why. Now we know why he will not be moved, and we're going to have to look to next year to see where Calvin Ridley will be playing football. And what a blow for the Falcons. What a blow this is. Seriously. I mean, it's terrible. So, again, my bigger question is what does this do for the future of professional sports when athletes now will have to just try to be um, a little smarter about doing uh, just the same thing, placing their bets through other people and hoping somebody doesn't become a whistleblower and rat them out over time. That's that's the danger to all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm thinking if you're owing money as an athlete or something like that, well, yeah, I'm going to leak news that you were out there sports gambling, and I'm going to show proof uh, that you were, you were involved in these kinds of activities. Meanwhile, Pete Rose gets banned for life. Calvin Ridley gets a season. And Calvin Ridley bet on his team. So, same, there's no difference. There, there is go. no difference. So, it kind of makes you wonder also about the two sports out there. All right, 17 passed as we continue on Sports Talk. Uh, we'll talk more about the gambling side later in the show. We'll get Butch Henry on at 5, Mario Mocha next. But let's start it off right now with Charlie One in traffic. X minus 1, welcoming us back to the program at 23 past the hour. Excited about our next guest. He joins us. Quite frequently on the show, he'll either drop into the studio like he did last week uh, or he'll just uh, join us on the phones right now. He's Director of Athletics Mario Mocha from New Mexico State. After a big announcement today regarding the Pan Am Center, what's going on, Mario? How are you? Yeah, Cap, it was a good uh, good weekend for the uh, Aggies. Uh, we uh, you know, won that last uh, home conference game on the men's side and, and – uh, was awarded with the number one seed. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen in conference play. But, 
you know, the WAC really protects their seeds. So right now um, we won't play um, until uh, Friday at 6 p.m. So, you know, if you're fortunate enough to win that game, you know, you're playing somebody who's, uh, you know, that's their third game or fourth, and it's only your second. So hopefully, you know, legs come into play and, you know, we've got a pretty deep team. But it was nice to, uh, you know, send the seniors off the right way. Had a really nice crowd, uh, cut down the nets, and um, I think it was just kind of like a, whew, we finally made it. Man, what an opportunity for Aggies, going right to the semis. I mean, that is, if there was ever a bonus for finishing first in the league, that's about as good as it gets, right? Yeah, you know, they, they place, a, place a premium on being the number one or the number two seed. Um, it just saves you. So, you know, it was something that once the, the WAC presidents expanded, uh, you know, it was an eight-team tournament. Now it's a 10-team tournament, but the way they set it up after those, and they're not really playing games, but, you know, after seven plays 10 and eight and plays nine, um, those two winners are seeded as the seventh and eighth team. Yep. And, you know, you could have said, okay, one plays eight, two plays seven, but instead they broke it up where they really protect one and two and uh, just makes it kind of interesting. Absolutely, it does. And by the way, Teddy Allen becomes a, you know, gets whack player of the year, which I've watched enough Teddy Allen this year. That man's a machine. So well deserved for him and, uh, and for New Mexico State as the number one seed uh, going into this thing. Uh, and at the end of uh, the press conference today, the weekly press conference with Chris Jans, you hopped on to talk about something that I would assume, Mario, is, is pretty much years in the making. Is that correct? Well, you know, it was February of uh, 2021, so what, that's, you know, about 12, uh, 13, 13 months ago, um, you know, an anonymous uh, private gift of $2.9 million was made. Uh, that, made that, that gift was not, you know, paid over time. It was paid immediately. And um, around here, I always joke that, because uh, I looked this up on the Internet cap, you know, it says credit was, invented in Mesopotamia 5,000 years ago, but at Mexico State, you have to have every dime in the bank before you start on a construction project, and now we do. So, um, you know, the project that um, we thought was important, uh, and so did our anonymous donor, was that we would build six suites and club seat, a club seat area in the Pan American Center. And um, that's great news for a few reasons. Number one, that's really the first premium seating that we've ever had in the history of the Pan Am Center. Um, number two, you know, it'll be a great location because it's also going to be in the lower level. Mm. And three, that's going to create a revenue stream back to the athletic program, not just to basketball or volleyball, to the whole program. And I really think that that revenue stream will be between two hundred and $250,000 annually. So just getting that widget um, in your in your budget every year of that kind of money is very impactful around these parts. There, there's no doubt about that. And hey, uh, when you can concerts that you know we bring in, um, and then the special events, whether it's Harlem Globetrotters, Lippin's Honor Stallions. Hopefully, you can um, you know attract um, uh, you know high school sports, uh, and then also you know graduation is a big thing. Uh, Pan American Center, so thirty eighth row and make that a club area. They they want to have the opportunity to be much lower. And um, considering this building is fifty five years old, and now it's really getting its first true, um, you know, facelift to make it more state of the art with the club seating. That's that's a real big deal. 
Well, it is, and you know, with the uh, with the brand new video board, um, that's just going to add to the you know the the, the 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 sight lines or the viewing pleasure, I guess, of your suite holders and your club seat holders. And you know, quite frankly, not just a revenue stream, but uh, I think some people might say, "Hey, I've had really good seats or or, or courtside seats. I think I'm going to move over there, so it'll allow us to get new." Uh, donors maybe into the club into courtside seats. So uh, you know, I, I just think it's a really good thing. It's a great thing for the revenue. I think the you know the donor was very uh, visionary in so much that he created a revenue stream for the department, um, which is something that um, you know they were very interested in. So I'm excited about that. That's another thing I want to uh, you know talk about is the anonymous donor. We'll do that when we come back. Mario Mocha with us right now on our uh, 600 ESPN El Paso hotline. More from him, but first let's go over to uh, Adrian Broadus and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you very much. We're back with Mario Mocha, Director of Athletics at New Mexico State, as we talk about the Pan American Center, uh, brand new uh, suites and club access that will happen. And I guess it's going to happen before the end of the year, right? So that way it's going to be ready for the 22-23 season? Yeah, right now it looks like it will be uh, finished in advance of uh, when the WAC will start. Uh, sometime in December, I think uh, right now the schedule says early December. Um, so there's certainly we may miss some of the early season games, which would kind of be a bummer, um, you know, with UNM and UTEP. But um, we'll see once they get going. Um, but, yeah, we'll be able to have people in there, um, it looks like, at a minimum for uh, conference play. So we're excited about that. Uh, you should be. And and again, I'm looking at this area right behind the basket that will be the uh, the, the new uh, level you're talking about right now. Um, first off, when it comes to anonymous donors, there can't be a ton of people out there, although you, you find ways to raise money that um, kind of at times defies logic because of how many donors you get to, to contribute, like the 250 you just raised for Jerry Kill over uh, the last, I don't know, four or five months. You, you always find ways to do these kind of things with the stock certificates that turned into a, a quarter million dollars. But are there people out there that, you know, generally you can get $3 million gifts from like this um, or? Or is this kind of one of those exceptions to the rule? Well, I mean, look, $3 million donors don't grow on trees, um, especially in in Las Cruces. You know, in my time at University of Missouri, um, you know, you had, um, you know, a lot of millionaires who were certainly interested in the success of the program um, by sheer numbers and location and things like that. We don't have that same amount. Um, however, you know, I think uh, – just like anything else, um, you know, individuals um, may not be in as involved as, you know, you think they should be or yep. what have you. But if I think if you maintain good relationships and if you put a, you know, a good quality product on the floor and not just straight success. I mean, if you're perceived in the community as doing the right way and getting out in the community and so on and so forth, I think people, you know, are sympathetic to a cause and, you know, if you catch individuals and corporations at that right moment, um, then, you know, it all kind of there's a little serendipity. It all comes together and uh, certainly happened in this case. And, it you know, it works out great because obviously, um, you know, it, it's a premier facility. 
Uh, the Pan American Center men's basketball is a huge focus of this. Um, we haven't had anything like this before, and uh, it's going to you know create a revenue stream in perpetuity. So uh, there's a bunch of stuff to be excited about. Do you expect to have uh, a lot of demand as far as selling these suites and and the club uh, the club seats? Well, yeah, and I'm kind of surprised the news held this long because even though they don't, it doesn't mean anything, you know, from a legal standpoint. You know, the methodology that we used, um, you know, we went we went ahead and said, okay, how are we going to line these donors up? And obviously there's some people who have been doing a lot for uh, New Mexico State Athletics and giving a lot of money for years. So we went to them with, uh, you know, more or less a letter of interest. And, you know, I pitched it to them and said, hey, here's a potential lease, and here's what I think the price is going to be. Do you want to sign this? Now, that didn't mean anything. It's not a legally binding document, but the first five people I met with signed it. Um, so we will now go back that it's announced. And once I get the leases completely finalized by, you know, um, uh, the general counsel's office, we'll sit, we'll sit down and start signing people up. Each suite's going to have about 12 seats. Am I correct? Yeah, 12 fixed suites, 12 fixed seats. All right. You'll have, uh, eight theater style seats and then you'll have a countertop and uh you know the high top uh, bar uh, chair back uh so that'll make up your 12 seats and then what we're going to do cap because we've done this before at southern illinois and at missouri if you buy a suite i'm going to also give you four guest passes for each men's game so in other words let's just say your brother you don't want to waste a ticket on him because you know he's coming to the game um you can say hey here's a guest pass why don't you make your way up there but I need to give these 12 tickets to these, you know, these people I'm trying to sell something to. So you can have, um, you know, 16 total people up there. Uh, you could also leave, leave your suite. I mean, there'll be a bar uh, behind the club area where you can have your beverages and you can, uh, you know, there'll be a TV. You can watch a game. I'm not going to have chairs at that bar, so you can't belly up to it and just kind of sit there like your tavern. It's really going to be to serve the club members, but the suite members can get out there too. So, yeah, it'll be a premium area, something that we've never had before, and uh, I think uh, some of the people are excited about it. Could you see if this goes as well as it probably will, especially with the income it's going to generate for the program and for the school, could you see this being basically phase one, Mario, and then starting to roll out perhaps more club suites uh, and and areas uh, around the rest of the uh, facility in, in the years to come? Yeah, we actually priced out suites on the south end as well without a club, so just like maybe four over there. And the price came back where it was a little too rich for our blood. We didn't have the funding to do that. So we said, okay, hey, let's stop right here. Um, let's, let's complete this. And then based on, you know, if there's, if there's a tremendous need, maybe we can do that. Maybe we can, you know, raise some more money. But you know, that's the challenge here. And I don't say that as a bad thing. It just is what it is. I mean, I, I can't, like, I, I don't have the ability to get a loan. So, you know, if I have to have all the money in hand, that makes projects a little tough. And as you know, um, there's been, you know, people who have been given gifts now, $2.9 million, not not that much. But to have it been given in one fell swoop mm-hmm. is pretty rare. Usually it's, hey, I'll give this over five years or I'll give this over 10 years, but yes. not. Hey, here's a check. Thanks. Um, that's pretty rare. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But we'll concentrate on doing this, selling it, and doing it the right way. And then uh, maybe it'll 
and it'll blossom into more suites or more premium areas down the road. I'm just wondering if on the sideline access, you know, like so behind the basket, it makes tons of sense, especially putting them lower. But the way the Pan Am Center is built, would you be able to do the same thing um, near, let's say, midcourt or between the benches? Or would that probably be higher up just based on the way the Pan Am Center was built back in 68? Yeah, you could, and this is what we have to have. You know what I'm doing, Cap? I, I printed off. Well, I had Charlie um, send me the link, our media relations guy, and I printed off the attendance. Um, you know, in men's basketball, um, and I wanted to see the. You know, who, so Syracuse is leading the country in attendance after the regular season. They averaged twenty thousand and seventeen, and New Mexico State is twenty is eighty second. We averaged uh, 5,785. But I'm going to look at all these towns in between because right now I think we're doing pretty darn well from an attendance standpoint with 102,000 people in our town. Um, But we have to have a real discussion about what we want to do with that upper level. I just, as much as I would love to tell people the days of, you know, we can still put in 12,500 on a regular basis, with television and all the other entertainment uh, options, I, I just don't think that's realistic. Um, so I think if you could carve into that Pan American Center with some premium areas and fill that up, I think it will allow you to – what I want to do is have the fans, no matter what they're paying, mm-hmm. sit as low as possible. Now you got to be careful, right, because people, you know, mid-court, they want, you know, they're paying a good amount. Um, but I think you could – Maybe carve the other places up so we're pe- like I like what we're doing right now. You can get a five dollar ticket and sit in the lower level. There's 172 of those seats yeah. in section 119, and we pretty much sell that section out each game. So you know we want to get people to be low so they'll be loud, and we're trying to be as price sensitive in our community, but yet you know uh, offer premium options at a premium price. So. It just takes a lot of brain power and, and, and bouncing it off people to make sure you're threading that needle. Ed McDonald at Minor Eddie Mac wants to know uh, regarding your blank check marketing, Mario, is that you or is that uh, Sicilian business techniques regarding the fundraising of getting a $2.9 million check? There was no coercion of the, uh, there was none of the, uh, uh, either your brains or your signature will be on this paper. As a fan of The Godfather, I've watched it many times. Um, it was uh, the gift was uh, uh, given freely and happily. With uh, more of me, if I'm The Godfather, pleading than uh, me uh, issuing any edicts whatsoever. So yeah, it was uh, it was given of free will. Well, listen, congratulations on that. I'm excited about what you guys are going to be doing to the Pan Am. I think that's great for a lot of reasons. And obviously for you, this weekend in uh, in, in Vegas is going to be a lot of fun. Good luck on Friday, and hopefully there will be no questions about getting New Mexico State back uh, where they belong, which is into the NCAA tournament this year. Well, I appreciate it. And then when we come back, I've got, I'm sitting on another little uh, breaking news about another facilities project that we have all the funding for, but I don't want to. I don't want to give you everything uh, at one time, Cap, so uh, maybe we'll do that after the basketball season is over. Fair enough. Any uh, new liquor news you want to pass along on the program? Anything you're doing now? Well, no, but just uh, our, uh, our, our heart seltzer and our, uh, our salsa are uh, in the pipeline, and 
uh, hopefully you'll be in town when we unveil both for those celebrations. I hope so. I hope so. All right, look, good to hear you back on the program. Thanks for joining us, and uh, enjoy Vegas. We'll talk to you again real soon, Mario. Thanks, Cap. Mario Mocha, Director of Athletics, New Mexico State. Come back with more right after uh, KVIA News right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Nine in front of five as we continue here on Sports Talk. 8805763, that's our telephone number. Butch Henry's 10 minutes away. Always love when we could spend some time talking to the El Pasoan, former big leaguer, and uh, one of my favorite baseball guests here locally because Butch always uh, tells it like it is and speaks what's on his mind, especially since he was involved in the last work stoppage some 27-plus years ago when he was pitching for the Expos, a team that many, including Butch, believe had a legitimate shot to win the World Series that year until the World Series was canceled. Yeah, that's why I feel like Butch will bring us such a great perspective on what's going on right now because he lived through this, uh, you know, the, the, and what happened just three decades ago, Steve. And, you know, I, I look at what Butch has been, been able to do in this sport. I mean, he's just one of the best to do it, and especially from the 915 and the fact that he still lives here, it's awesome. I also look at the fact that now the Major League Baseball Players Association is delivering that new proposal to the league. A lot of adjustments uh, quietly happened over the weekend, so I'm, I'm curious to see if there's any momentums on both sides coming to some sort of, of an agreement here soon. I hope so. I hope so. But I will say this. I'm going to be in Arizona uh, part of next week, and I did, thanks to Baseball America, they published a list of every big league team, and there are teams that will have their spring training facilities open to fans, so you can actually go and watch minor league games, which I'm excited about. So I will have the opportunity to watch some minor league ball, Looking forward to that. Backfields, access to some of those games, and that's going to be fun. So uh, whether it's, I believe, Peoria with the Mariners, uh, Salt River with the Diamondbacks and Rockies, and there's some more that will have uh, some access. And that's uh, White Sox are going to have some access as well. So good. And hopefully the Padres will follow suit. Padres right now or no, but since the Mariners are doing it, I'm hoping San Diego will change. And speaking of uh, baseball, Adolfo with a big shout-out to UTEP Softball. He said, amazing atmosphere this weekend for those that have not been out there. Well, you should. And uh, congratulations. Softball team did well this weekend. I know that. And uh, they've got the new facility. Now, Adolfo, 100% right. That is on my list of things I want to see soon. I want to go to a UTEP Softball game. We just got to balance it out between um, basketball, baseball, and every other practice uh, right, and games right now that we've got uh, for my son. But I would love to watch a little UTEP softball because I hear the field is absolutely gorgeous. I heard the same thing, Steve. I've, I've seen a lot of crowd pictures from uh, UTEP softball. I know a lot of people went, I, I believe it was after the Saturday game uh, for UTEP men's. So uh, I know there was there were a lot of people out there to support the UTEP softball team there as well. That's exactly right. So, again, good and uh, good for El Paso getting an opportunity to support uh, what is a team that's trying to turn the corner this year. So let's hope that that's exactly what continues and we can start to really see the UTEP softball team make some big progress uh, this season when it comes to Conference USA play. Hey, one hour in the books when we come back. Butch Henry will join us live at 5 on our hotline and we'll get Butch's thoughts regarding everything going on in baseball. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Talk as we continue. 
Uh, hopefully we'll get Butch Henry on our hotline, Adrian. We'll see if he calls in soon enough, and then we'll be uh, all set and good to go for that conversation to start us off here in our 5 o'clock hour. In the meantime, uh, as we continue on the show, he's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplow. It's coming your way together on 600 ESPN El Paso. Great to have you back, folks, as uh, we uh, should have a pretty uh, enjoyable um, hour. Um, and, oh, I, I guess Butch might be here at the station. So see if we can check him out. All right, cool. All right, that'd be good. I didn't realize Butch was going to stop in. That's even better. Huh. All right. Well, if that's the case, um, yeah, this is going to be a fun uh, fun segment. I thought we were going to be getting Butch on the phones, but if he's going to be in the studio with us, even better. So um, looking forward to that. Oh, there he is. He's actually, I think, calling in right now. So uh, my apologies. When he said he's here, I think uh, he meant by his phone and not at the radio station. So that should be Butch calling in on the hotline and, uh, assuming it is, we'll patch him right in and uh, be good to go for the start of hour number two as we continue here on the program and looking forward to what uh, should be a uh, a pretty enjoyable conversation, as it always is, with the, the former big leaguer who will give us uh, all the insight regarding uh, his thoughts on the labor dispute. So looking forward to that as uh, Sports Talk rolls right along. 880-5763. That is our telephone number to get in. And also 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter, on Facebook, and online at 600ESPNElPaso.com. And if you're listening to us on our free mobile app powered by United Bank, another way to chime in with us during the show. All right. As promised, let's welcome Butch to the show right now as uh, he joins us on our hotline. Hey, welcome back. It's good to have you on today and appreciate the time. Steve, Adrian, how are you guys doing? We're doing well. Butch, how are you? Um, living the dream. <laughs> hey, Living the dream in El Paso. I'm telling you, there's a lot of other places you could be living, and it's good that you're here still and in your hometown and getting a chance to enjoy what is the second chapter of your life after your baseball career. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there's no place else I've, I've often said that I would rather be than, than uh, El Paso. There's a lot of places I'd rather you know, visit for a, a time, but uh, just being at home, there's there's no place other than El Paso. We're getting ready to embark uh, on a strange month because normally we have baseball games right now, spring training around all of uh, Florida and Arizona. And this time around, Butch, we don't. In fact, we uh, are getting minor league baseball because they are not affected by the lockout. But the big leaguers, anybody on the 40-man, is still not allowed to report to any of the facilities, have any contact with anybody with each team, which makes a very strange month, especially when I'm watching big league pitchers right now in Arizona throwing side sessions at city parks just to keep their bodies loose and ready to go for uh, when there is an agreement that's in place. Right. All of the, all of the, the 40 man roster guys are, you know, they're bound to the union and uh, you know, that's where their, their uh, loyalty lies. And they're, they're, they're not going to cross those, those lines once it was, uh, you know, once the door was slammed, uh, the facilities are no longer, you know, and that's, that's actually the owners doing. That's not the players. I'm sure the players would still go in, you know, onesie twosie into the the complexes and work out if they could. But that, you know, they've been locked out, so um, that's not an option. So they've got to they've got to try to maintain, 
you know, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, routine to, cause when this does finally end, it's, you know, it's probably going to be in, uh, abbreviated fashion. They're going to, going to try to rush things back up and these guys are going to have to be ready to go pretty quick. Before we get to the current state of affairs that's going on in major league baseball, take me back to the 1994 season when you were very much a part of that Montreal Expos team that many believe, yourself included, had a legitimate chance to win the World Series had there not been a strike that ultimately ended the World Series or any chance of playing the World Series and carried all the way over into the 95 season, Butch. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty disappointing time in, in my life. And, and, you know, I really didn't understand the, 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 the levity of it then, but... Um, you know, in, in retrospect, that was really the only, only opportunity I had as a player to, uh, to get to the, uh, the postseason, um, you know, on a major league ball club. I mean, I've, I've won championships on minor league teams, and, and it was a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, you're talking, you're talking apples and oranges. But uh, it, it was a, uh, a disappointing time because we were, you know, that 94 Expos team was playing really good baseball. Um, as I, as we spoke earlier, we had just swept, uh, just swept, uh, Atlanta in Atlanta and, uh, had headed back to Montreal, woke up the next day and they, they told us, uh, not we're done. You guys, uh, pack up and leave. And they told us to leave. We had to, we couldn't stay in Montreal. Um, we had to pack our stuff up and, and head home. And, uh, it, it just, you know, all oh, this is going to last a week. It's going to last two weeks. It's going to last three weeks. You guys will be back at the end of the month. And, uh, you know, after everything was said and done, it just, it turned into a, a nightmare and went into 95 with, uh, with, uh, you know, the, uh, replacement players, you know, trying to come back and start the season. And, uh, it, 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 it was, uh, a lesson that, uh, you know, we don't like to see too often. I, I hate to see it, it happen again. I hope I hope if, if the owners continue with the lockout and they don't come to terms, they don't try to get replacement players to play. Um, just just don't don't play the game. So but it, it was a it was a disappointing time. I, I know what these, these players are feeling right now because this time of year it should be you know, you should be going to spring training and, and you know, getting back into the groove, having fun with your 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 teammates, and uh, you know, getting ready to to play a season, and and they're having to sit at home. You know, I look at that '94 team, and it was loaded. I mean, you had a 21 year old Cliff Floyd who was in his rookie season playing first base, but then you look at guys like Mike Lansing, Darren Fletcher, Will Cordero, who was only 22, Sean Berry. And in that outfield of Moises Alou, Marquis Grissom, Grissom, and Larry Walker, uh, not to mention the pitching staff, which uh, really should uh, bear notice because you had Ken Hill winning 16 games that year. Pedro Martinez was a 22-year-old, 11-5. and Jeff Facero, yourself, and Kirk Reeder. That's a great team. And that doesn't even include John Wetland, who was saving games with Mel Rojas and uh, your buddy Gil Heredia setting them up. It was uh, it was uh, um, it was a special team, and and uh, you know the funny thing about it is they were we were we were all you know fairly young because um, Montreal didn't have the money to to retain any of those guys. In fact, 
if if memory serves, 95 was a totally different animal. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys left. Ken Hill left. Uh, um, I want to say uh, Larry Walker um, left. Uh, I know Grissom. Grissom went to Atlanta. You know, it, right. it just uh, it was a uh, it was a uh, uh, <laughs> a, a, a sad state of affairs up there because it was such a good team and if we could have stayed together you know just a couple more years we would have we would have been you know dominant to say the least but uh you know that wasn't the case and uh well it's probably the main reason that uh montreal's now in uh uh washington it's a great point point. and by the way uh you started 21 games in that 95 season um and you you had a terrific year i mean you went seven and nine with a 284 era butch so i mean realistically you know you look at your season in 95 it was really solid but you also uh did not have ken hill you had carlos perez who was in the rotation but i don't really think the pitching was really that much of a problem for the most part the pitching seemed fine although you lost wetland that year and rojas stepped in as your closer it was just that you lost out on on some 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 really you know some some big players and Larry Walker being the big one and obviously replacing it with Tony Tarasco is was not uh, was not the answer for Montreal. Well, it just it just isn't. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you don't you don't replace Larry Walker. Um, you know, I'd, I've argued and I would tell people that he was one of the he was one of the best outfielders I ever played with. And, and, uh, of that era, he was one of the best. He, uh, he, he did everything well. I mean, the guy hit for power, hit for average. He could flat out run. Um, you know, nobody ran the bases like him, which I, I think is a, a lost art these days. Uh, he could go, he could go first to third as fast as anybody in the game. And he was a big man. He was, you know, he was, you know, six, three and weighed over 200 pounds, um, you know, he had a cannon for an arm. Uh, he just—he was just just one of those those you know players that you looked at and you went, "Wow!" You know, the guy guy showed up and and showed up at the ballpark and and you know went went three for four without even breaking a sweat. He was just a good player, and they're not replaceable. Butch Henry with us here on Sports Talk. So now we fast forward what nearly 30 years later, and now we're dealing with a lockout that has already forced the cancellation of the first week of the season. Who knows how many more games are going to be uh, canceled when it's all said and done. And you've had a chance to read up on things. I mean, you've seen what's, what the players are trying to get, what the owners want. As you really start to dive into this a little bit more, Butch, what are your thoughts? I, I think... Uh... You know the the players have been and and you know when you're standing on the outside looking in, um, your 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 initial response is well it's the billionaires versus the millionaires, and um, you know the one the one thing that I needed to come to grips with back in '94 was you know we we weren't going on strike necessarily for ourselves, you know it, it hurt the younger players like myself and some of the other guys that only had a, a year or two in the game. But ultimately, it helped us down the road. Um, you know, it helped, uh, you know, the contracts. It helped things, you know, the, 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 the collective barring agreements, um, you know, for the future. It was, it was more of a um, stepping stone to, to giving us more of what we wanted in the future, and not necessarily us, but players that were yet to come. 
And I think that's what they need to look at now because the last couple of collective bargaining agreements, um, you know, the owners have, have taken a, a, a hard line. They've, they've, and there's, there's just a handful of them, more, you know, more, more little moderate, but uh, some of these hardliners are, they're standing fast and, and they're saying we're not giving anything. And the last couple of collective bargaining agreements, the, uh, the players have been the ones, you know, given most of, of the ground to continue playing. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that the, the players are going to be a little more, a uh, little more solid this time. And I think they're going to try to get a, a fair deal. I agree with you. I definitely think they're going to try to get a fair deal. I also feel that you could make the argument that because the players did not get what they should have in the last couple of uh, negotiations, they're going to want to make sure that this time around history doesn't repeat itself and they get what they deserve. Well, no doubt. And and like I said, I you know from the outside looking in, it's the billionaires versus the millionaires, but but the reality is that that this is this is bigger than just just what's happening on this you know, in, in this moment that, you know, these players, these players need to, they need to, to be, you know, solidified and they need to stay strong and they need to, to hold, you know, stand fast and, and get, you know, what they need to get to, uh, you know, make the game better from the player standpoint. Because like I said, the last two, if you look at the last two collective bargaining agreements, they've been, they've been terrible for the, for the player stand from the player standpoint. You're absolutely right. But stick around with us. We're going to come back. I want to talk more about the potential damage to the sport from this and if you believe uh, it's going to be much tougher to get fans back this time around than it was in 94. So we'll, we'll do that when we come back from the break, okay? I'll be here. Butch Henry, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk, if you've got any questions for Butch, you can always send them to us via Twitter at 600 ESPN El Paso or via our mobile app as well. Right now, let's go to Charlie One. He's back with a traffic update. 21 past the hour as Sports Talk continues. Butch Henry with us right now. Adrian, you've been listening to the conversation so far. What's your uh, what's your instant reaction to everything uh, Butch has had to say so well, far? Well, it's real interesting just to compare both eras, Steve. That's my biggest takeaway right there. Butch, I, I have an early question for you. How, how much do you think uh, you would have hated social media if you lived in today's world and you got to see all the constant reactions to every day? Every single day when we're hearing the negotiations from both sides, we're getting a nonstop reaction from social media, and even players are chiming in on this too i i think that's a great question and and the the reality is i probably couldn't i i really can't give you an answer because um i was fortunate enough not to 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 play in the in the uh in that era where where you know everybody knows you know what color underwear you have on that particular day and and um you know you're you're it's it's <laughs> you i'm i'm not a fan of social media let's put it that way cuz i i think i think there's a lot of a lot of um things that are detrimental to it when it comes to sports in general um you know people are people are exposed athletes are exposed in a way nowadays that um we never were and and I think that I think that that would wear on. I mean, I can only speak personally, but I think that would wear on me greatly. Uh, you know, I, I I I doubt I would even have you know social media if I was 
if I was playing in this era. Real quick follow-up, Butch, because I want to know, who would have been a teammate of yours that would have been terrible with social media, like posting nonstop about things like this and always highly opinionated toward things like this? Oh, geez. Um, well, hell, I mean, he is. I played with him for a couple of years, Kurt Schilling, and, I mean, he's he's still been he's been bad about it even, even after his playing days. He's, he's basically cut his own throat, you know, in more ways than one, you know, talking about stuff on social media. And, and uh, you know, it, 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 it's real easy. It's real easy to get away from, from what, and it, it's real easy to be enticed by, by people on social media to start talking about things that, that, you know, number one, players shouldn't be talking about. Number two, um, if they do talk about it, they shouldn't be doing it where everybody can see it. And, and, and it, it just, you know, it's, it's guys have to police themselves nowadays in, in, in such a way that, that, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any fun. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I, it's, it's difficult. Part of me says, you know what, for your brand and potential marketing uh, endorsements and things that it could really come in handy, but you get, you're careful because you say one thing on Twitter, next thing you know, you got everybody jumping down your throat and all of a sudden everything can go away. And you've seen that with so many athletes, how quickly they could lose things uh, if they decide to uh, one day, you know, vent their frustration out on Twitter. Well, the culture we live in is, is such that um, you, you can't, you know, so many of these players, uh, you know, try to have an opinion on, you know, put an opinion on something that, you know, and, and everybody's entitled to their opinion, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, they, they come out on social media and, and make a comment about something that has nothing to do with the sport they're playing. And the next thing you know, they're they're being you know crucified on 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 social media and and whatnot. And it's it's just it's you know it 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 I, I don't I'm I'm not a fan. <laughs> Butch Henry with us here on Sports Talk. Uh, as far as the damage to the sport, we saw what happened in ninety four ninety five. I mean, it took. The McGuire-Sosa home run race of 98 and really Ripken chasing Gehrig to get the fans back on track with baseball again, and some never came back. What do you think the long-term fallout and damage is going to be from this mess? In my opinion, and, and again, this is all just my opinion, um, you know, in, in, in 94, uh, we walked away. And... and there was a slow burn with the fans. It, it, uh, they were angry, um, you know, because we walked away. And this time around, you know, anybody that, that will sit back and, and look at the, the circumstances, look at the way things are going, um, you know, I, I think they're going to they're gonna sit back and say that, the, you know, the players are just looking for, for something fair. The players are looking for, for a, a fair deal and – I think there's a lot more people that are that are siding with the players this time, so I don't I don't think there's going to be that that slow burn you know that there was the last time and 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 the taking a, the years for um, you know fans to thaw out and and come back. Um, you know, baseball baseball really can't afford um, 
you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to revert to the, the, the social media. I, I read an article the other day that somebody was talking about, you know, you, you can't, you can't get, uh, oh, no. I want an article. I was listening to, to Cowherd um, talking about you, you can't get a, a kid to, uh, you know, watch TV for, for 30 minutes, you know, without being on his phone nowadays. And you want him to go and watch a baseball game for four hours. The game's slow. Um, I, I think I think there's an ebbing of you know enthusiasm for the game as, as from a fan standpoint, uh, you know, and and costs and <laughs> so I I don't think baseball in and on itself can afford you know it's become a regional. Uh, of course, you have your your huge markets, your Yankees and your Red Sox and your Dodgers and your Braves and but you've got these other other you know fringe teams that are they're they're basically regional teams and uh you know they can't afford to be out out too long from both sides i mean the player standpoint and the and the and the owners i i don't i don't see this going very far think about what the owners want now besides just the um competitive balance tax and what that's turned into but think about they want um they want a pitch clock to speed the game up they want wider bases. Eventually, they're going to want robot umpires. If you were pitching in today's game, what would your reaction be to suddenly teams telling you that it's going to become robot umps? Well, I, I was done with the clocks. Um, you know, I watched I watched some games. Uh, you know, you and I did those games with the with the the Chihuahuas. You know, a uh, uh, couple of years ago, and uh, you know, uh, I. Don't I don't like. You can't put a you can't put a, a time clock on it. It's not it's not like you're you're in a football game where you're running a play and you're you're you know you've got so many seconds to to get the play in, get it called, get to the line, and and you know get the the, the ball snapped. Um, you know, baseball. I've always said, and and you know, I've probably told you this. Baseball has a when that nine inning starts, the game has a life of its own, and that that. You know that game winds and and weaves and turns and and uh, you know as a as a baseball person and a fan you know you you kind of get in, entwined in that in that in that life of the game and and it moves in different it, it you know no two games are the same it's it's just it's just a different type of sport and it's you know I, I these changes are just I mean the game's been played. This way, you know, when when Manfred's uh, started making these changes, I, I I mean, we talked about it. I was I was done then, you know. You know, some of the some of the things they're talking about doing are just stupid. Well, now they're also talking about banning the shift. Yeah, I saw that too, and and um, once again, we we didn't know what a shift. You know, a shift was uh, you know playing playing the shortstop up the middle. You know, I, they they weren't they weren't playing him on the other side of second base, but uh, you know, it's why are you gonna if a team has an idea of how to beat you know something? Why why are you gonna limit that that ability? Um, it doesn't make any sense, you know. We'll wrap this up with Butch Henry next. Stay with us. 31 past. We'll come right back in less than two minutes after Adrian in this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. 
All right, Adrian, thank you very much. Back with Butch Henry as uh, we continue here on the show. In fact, uh, I'm looking at you know some of the uh, potential fallout from all this. Let's just say things get settled here in the next couple of weeks, Butch, and maybe they don't play in, in April like we want to see, but they play in May, which, by the way, that's also going to be kind of weird. When Chihuahua's baseball starts Two to three weeks or four weeks in front of big league games—that's going to be a little uh, a, a little strange for a lot of baseball fans. Yeah, and and the rosters are going to be a little short too because you're you're going to have some forty man roster guys that that aren't able to participate. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. But you know, at, at the end of the day, um, we'll have baseball here in El Paso, and and San Diego won't. So. You know, you if if you want to look at it from that standpoint, we're we're a step ahead. What's the biggest issue that you think if the players can get negotiated to their side could really be a game changer for them for years to come? Of all the issues you've seen, what's the biggest uh, the biggest one in your mind for the players? Uh, without a doubt, the the free agency and the the, the arbitration um, eligible. You know, I I I don't. Um, I don't think um, there should be any reason to to give the players control, you know, a year or two earlier than they used to. Um, I don't. I don't. You know, we we already have the super twos in arbitration. Why why not make arbitration? You know, at two years. Um, you know, you've already at, at two years. If you have two full years of service, um, you know, you've you've been able to either put up some good numbers and and it, it's it, it makes sense to me but i i think the big bugaboo right now and i, I don't even think it's that i i think right now the the uh competitive uh balance tax is the the where the big gap is between the owners and the and the players and the, the players are wanting you know I, I think the cap they're capping it at like 268 million and and uh the owners don't want anywhere near that. I think they're like fifty million away, but uh, I think that's the big the big bugaboo right now. Do you think there should also be a floor where teams have to spend a certain amount of money so that you don't get some clubs going with a ridiculously low payroll and others with a much larger payroll? Um, I, I think it's it's subjective. I I think uh, you know. We we look at we look at all the money the Yankees spend every year, and you know it seems like they never they they can never put it together and and uh, and and get to a World Series, much less win one. And you know it's been a, a few years, and and uh, you know I I think what needs to happen is there needs to be a a, a, a CBT. But it needs to be within reason. Should there be a floor? I don't. I don't know how you would calculate that because I don't. I don't see how Pittsburgh could could compete with, uh, you know, with Atlanta and 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 in fact they don't. You know, if you watch every year, Pittsburgh they they got a bunch of young kids that come out like gangbusters. They play good for you know a couple of months and then they they realize it's not a sprint and you know they fizzle out. And they don't have any any reserves. They don't have anybody. If somebody gets hurt, they're you know they're playing a, a kid that might not 
even should be in the big leagues, but it's all they've got. And, uh, you know, the good teams have depth. I, I've told you all along, there's, there's ways that I would, you know, putting caps on draft, draft pick, you know, uh, bonuses, things like that. There, there would be certain things I would be looking for, you know, um, there, there's no way I, I would be paying, you know, a first round pick five million before he ever threw a pitch professionally. Um, you know, there's just, there's, there's ways for them to save money. There's ways for teams to, you know, put things together and, and, and put winning teams on the field. The devil rays do it almost every year and spend no money, you know, to do it. Well, um, true. But then again, if the Mets are spending $235 million and you've got the uh, Cleveland spending $29 million as a team, the Orioles spending $29 million as a team, and the Pirates spending $34.5, there is such a discrepancy. That's why I bring up the floor. Maybe the floor should be either 75 or 80 or something, Butch, because it just seems crazy that an entire team's payroll could be less than one player. Well, and, and, and again, the only way you're going to do that, so, you know, they can, they can veil this any way they want to, that, that uh, competitive balance tax. Um, you know, but the reality is, you know, unless there's, there's a more prolific profit sharing, um, you know, thing put into place, I, I mean, how can, you, how can you force a team to, to spend $70 million, you know, if they don't have it, if they're not making it? And, and that's, that's where, you know, I think, I think there, there's some issues, some parity, lack of parity in major league baseball, it's, you know, it's always the same, the same, uh, the usual suspects. It seems like, you know, in the, in the, I was, you know, pleasantly surprised Cleveland was around this last year. Uh, um, you know, in Atlanta kind of came out of nowhere, but, uh, their, their payrolls always high. Um, so, you know, it's, and it's just, there's no, Without being in those meetings, without you know being able to be a fly on the wall and listen to what's being said, it's it's real hard to 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 get you know what would be a fixable scenario. But I I would I would like to see a Pittsburgh make it to the playoffs. I you know I'd like to see a Baltimore. You know Baltimore seems like they play they play a couple of months every year and then they start selling what they've got. And, uh, you know, that's not, that's not a way to build the game up. You know, it's just not the, not the right way. And, and really, I think the players are looking to, uh, to try to fix that. I think they're, they're looking in that direction with, with the, the amount of money they want for the, the, the competitive balance tax. I think they want, you know, they want to see some more money going to these smaller market teams to create a little bit of parity. And just to continue on this, the fans uh, sometimes feel like they're robbed. They feel like their teams become complacent uh, year over year. And uh, what, what would you say to those kind of fans right there, Butch? Because I feel like those are the ones who are being the loudest uh, for the CBT talks going back and forth. Well, I would, I would say I'm sorry because, you know, and, and I, I, I empathize. They, they, they're paying, you know, thousands of dollars for season tickets to watch, you know, kids that, that, you know, at the end of the year, probably shouldn't be in the big leagues. And, and, you know, you may, you know, these teams have one or two good players and then everybody else is, is just, you know, they're, they're just there. And, and, you know, these, these fans, 
they're they're diehard fans. They pay money every year, and and uh, you know they want to they want to see they want to see you know some some fruits to their labors. They're 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 showing up. They're supporting the team, and and you know why why can't the owners you know put a little effort and and try to put a winning product on the field. And and you're not going to tell me that that these owners and the and the general managers of these small market teams they don't go into the year knowing that they're not going to be competitive. It's just it's there's no way they can put a team together and and uh, and say oh we're going to be competitive against you know these other teams. Butch, as always, you've given us great uh, stuff for the last uh, last few segments. So we appreciate all the time, as always. Thank you for joining us. And uh, most importantly, I think somebody like yourself, who spent so many years playing this game, especially at the highest level, to others like us who just love watching the game, I think the one thing we all hope is that they'll get this thing figured out soon enough so we can still get baseball back. I hope so, because, you know, I'm, I'm not a – I'm not a – really a fan anymore i don't have a team i follow but it's it's comforting to know that that the game is still there and you always like to believe that it it'll it'll go on even even without you and uh you know it's it would be nice if uh if they could get this figured out and and uh you know get on the ball field well said butch appreciate it we'll look forward to talking to you again real soon y'all take care Butch Henry, folks, 42 pass. The sports talk continues. Come back to wrap up hour number two in a moment right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. 8805763, our telephone number. Aren't you fascinated to hear how the Packers are going to figure out a new way for Aaron Rodgers to spend the rest of his career in Green Bay? Yeah, Steve, I am so fascinated by this storyline. Um, I'm not trying to connect a lot of dots here, but I am because I have a rooting interest on the other end of this. But listen to this story that happened today. Von Miller tweeted something about Denver, and he had hinted that he was going to be re-signing with the Rams all offseason long. Well, now there are two suitors right now for Aaron Rodgers. It's obviously the Packers re-signing with them, making some big, big money. And now we're still getting those crum- those crumbles of uh, the fact that the Broncos are pursuing him hard. Now, imagine if it's somebody who got on the phone with Von Miller saying, hey, we know we're getting Rodgers. Come over here. Let's win a Super Bowl. But why, if you're Aaron Rodgers, why do you leave Green Bay where you're so much closer to trying to win a Super Bowl than Denver? Why would you want to go into a conference, an elite, a division, where you've got KC, you've got the Chargers, you have the Raiders, and I mean, why would you even want to deal with that when in Green Bay, you know each season, as long as you're around and Devontae's around, that you're going to be uh, clearly a pick to win that to conference and go to the and go to the Super Bowl. It makes to me, it makes no sense. Especially if Green Bay is rolling out the red carpet, they're going with a contractual friendly deal. They realize they did something wrong. They realize that the Jordan Love pick pissed off Aaron Rodgers to a whole other level, and he's just he he wants to get paid, and he well, wants. Wants to feel loved, and Steve, my biggest thing is this is the time right here for uh, the Packers to lock him down and and to really show that they want him as their guy into his forties. But when he signed with them the last time, wasn't he the highest paid quarterback in the game when he signed his his last contract? Like um, before this one that where they extended for one year, I believe so. You're right. So I mean, you say you show him the love. Well, they did. They gave him the highest paid contract of a quarterback at that time. So it's not exactly like they've been trying to lowball him his whole So why career. does he play the victim card all the time? Why does he say that stuff? I don't know, but here's what I'm trying to figure out, okay? 
They renegotiated with David Bakhtiari, Kenny Clark, and Aaron Jones. They're $27.5 million over the cap. So if that's the case, how are they going to break the bank for Aaron Rodgers? I don't understand it. I have no clue. They're going through uh, salary cap loops uh, left and right, it seems like. And for the Broncos, it seems like they're just clearing up as much space as they can to try to make the most aggressive offer. Now, I'm with you. If you're Aaron Rodgers, if you want to win right now and go to the Super Bowl, the path to the Super Bowl is right there in Green Bay. You you have the opportunity right there. I don't really get the arguments for the, well, the Broncos. Well, here's the thing. Now, here's what Green Bay can do, okay? Because Rodgers has one year left on his deal, and it would count. $46 million against the cap. So if they give Rodgers an extension to essentially let him retire in Green Bay, they could drop that amount by $40-plus million, depending on what they decide to offer up, and then all of a sudden they go from being over the cap to under the cap in one move. And then they've got money for Devontae, and now they figured it all out. Yeah, the interesting part with Devontae is I'm almost positive they're going to go with the tag on, on Devontae. So if that, if that's the case, if they, if they don't get that long-term deal done by this week, um, yeah, I could see uh, Devontae Adams staying on the franchise tag now. Well, if, if it gets ugly, Steve, that's the other end. If, if they don't agree on a long-term deal and this gets ugly at some point, then maybe Devontae's playing for another team. The franchise tender deadline's tomorrow. So they've got to decide now what they're going to do. But if you're Green Bay, you don't decide with what you're doing with um, with a guy like Devontae Adams until you know for sure what Aaron Rodgers is doing. You can't suddenly franchise tag Devontae and lose Aaron Rodgers. That makes no sense either. And it's pretty obvious they understand Jordan Love is not the answer. No, he's not, and that's why I feel like Gutenkust and everybody in the Packers front uh, front office they're they're probably backing on most of the decisions they made when they thought, hey, all right, maybe the 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 end of the journey with Aaron Rodgers is coming. No, it's not. He's back to back MVPs. Uh, he's he's won those two honors right there. And Steve, I, I still think there's a lot left in the tank for Aaron Rodgers. Um, oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you've seen it. Now, some people say that you know he's a choke. The fact is, he's won the MVP the last two years, and he's gone to two uh, you know, championship games, and then they won the division this year and had the number one seed. So you pretty much know what he could still do. I'm still putting him number one quarterback overall. I am. And, and I, I think uh, Mahomes is a, is a very close number two, but I, I still put Aaron Rodgers above him right now. Fair enough. we got one more big hour to go, folks. we got a lot more to talk about. And if you were at the game Saturday, I want to talk to you. We've, we haven't really done a lot of UTEP talk since the first segment because we've been busy with everything else we've been doing. But, hey, we want to jump into that as well so stay tuned plenty more coming up in our final 60 with you right here on 600 espn el paso final hour is underway welcome back sports talk rolling steve and adrian with you here on a monday championship week excited about all the action we're going to be bringing to you starts tomorrow at three we're not even going to be on the air at four tomorrow because we've got mondo from frisco the utep women are playing at three o'clock tomorrow we're going to air it for you so we will expect to get on the air a little after five and uh, we'll probably have mondo with a little crosstalk uh joining us right when we get on the air to kind of either talk about the season extending into wednesday if they play at 10 30 assuming they beat utsa or the season coming to an, a, a sad and unfortunate end because 
Adrian, that's exactly what it will be if the Miners bow out in the first round of the 6-7 matchup. They should win this game tomorrow. They they really should. They have had uh, UTSA's number every time that they've played recently. In fact, I believe it's eight in a row against the Roadrunners that the Miners are hanging on to. So uh, I look at this game as a must-win for the women's basketball team. I know it's been a rocky season. I know that there has been some adversity that they've faced, but uh, they, they need this win badly for this program oh are you kidding i mean it's it's a must then again they should have won how many games this year that they ended up losing i mean it's just such a mystery with this team look i, I haven't been around them like i've been in the past because mondo's been doing all the games and you know the last time i was doing continuous women's basketball was two seasons ago when i was a part of that broadcast team but this in my mind is the most talented group of players top to bottom kevin baker has had since he's arrived uh, which makes it that much more frustrating because when you have the talent and you can't put it together over the course of a season and you've really seen your team go in the wrong direction in conference play, that's what's so frustrating. Well, look at how they started the season, 8-2 and two in non-conference play, and it's not exactly. like they were playing some cupcake teams. I mean, they had a pretty solid slate. You had uh, Seattle University, Kansas, Utah State, which ended up actually being canceled, but uh, you still had Texas State, New Mexico, Air Force, some quality. Quality opponents in their non-conference schedule. They finish out the year 14 and 14, 6 and 12 in non-conference play. Uh, and when we're talking about streaks, they've lost three in a row, Steve. So it's it's very it's very much a a a weird kind of season for this women's basketball team. I would say the one thing going for them, they have so much talent that I would not be surprised if they actually won a couple games here in the tournament. You know what else is really weird, and that is that. Kevin Baker is not worried. He's not um, – if for a, for a head coach that's dealing with the kind of up-and-down season like the Myers have had, you would figure that Kevin Baker would be a basket case at this point, that he would just, you know, be, be, be not being able to figure it out. But he still is as confident now as he was at the start of the season, and I, I don't really think that's an act. I think he really believes in this team. He's just trying to figure out a way to motivate them now that he knows that they're essentially in a situation where they lose one game, they're done. So they got to win five in five days, Adrian, in order to try to punch their ticket into the tournament. I guess another big thing going for them as well, just along your positivity lines, they get just uh, they just recently got Destiny Thurman right back. Uh, she joined the team for the regular regular season finale against North Texas. She missed the last four game she played 30 minutes and then had uh, seven rebounds in that game against uh, North Texas which they ended up losing that's great if you get a, a all-conference honorable mention like her back in the mix I think the thing is this okay uh, so the women and the men are going in the wrong direction here into the tournament the women are obviously on a slide and they've got to figure out a way to resurrect things by tomorrow, um, really less than 24 hours from now, because they'll be playing at 3 o'clock tomorrow against UTSA, a team they owned during the regular season. They beat them by like 30 here, and then they beat them pretty convincingly on the road. So we will see how much closer that game is uh, this for this third time. And the men are right now healthy, which they haven't been in in gosh knows how long because of Kennedy, and they're playing arguably their best basketball of the season right now. Yeah, it was so crazy, Steve. Go to pra- I go to practice today, and I'm expecting smiles. I'm expecting excitement after that North Texas. 
I've not been a part of a more intense practice all year. And I've, been, I've gone to practice, uh, try to go at least once a week, and that was the most intense practice I've seen all season, Steve. They were locked in. None of the players were talking in, in between uh, you know drills. They were so laser-focused on this upcoming week. And uh, for Joe Golding, the secret to his success, all he said was just win a game. Just win that first one. Then you get that momentum under your belt for Thursday. Yeah, it's exactly. And the good news is also he has a deep enough team that if playing consecutive days really starts to wear on this team, he can spread the lineup out a little bit and not have to play guys so many minutes. Yeah, I think you're going to see that first uh, firsthand on uh, Wednesday when they go up against a team with more size like Middle Tennessee. Now, I mean, you're, you're, I'm saying the obvious by UTEP playing uh, Verhoeven and Zarek Onyema uh, in that game, but you might actually see Bonky Maring if they go deeper into their bench, if they go you know, with uh, Kevin Kalu because they have that opportunity to put some size against a team that wants to beat you down low like Old Dominion does. So maybe maybe that's the case. Maybe maybe they go deeper into their bench. But don't they play Old Dominion first and then they would get Middle Tennessee if they win that game? If I mix the two yeah. teams. Okay, so I meant Old Dominion displays yeah. a lot of size. Got Middle it. Tennessee has way more finesse to them. They, they're, they they're more guard-oriented. They have more athleticism under their belt. So Old Dominion's that team of size where you could throw Maring out there or you could throw Kalu, uh, whatever it may be. I think that's where you could throw more size at them. Interestingly enough, when you watched the game Saturday against North Texas, you now know that um, you know Zarek Onyema is the is the backup to um, to Titus Verhoeven. I mean, you saw Zarek plays nine minutes, but Bonky doesn't get off the bench. You see Kalu sparingly for the most part, and it's interesting to me that you're still riding with Titus, and you have to. He's your vet. He gives you the defensive presence. He can make some shots on the offensive side. But still, Z has kind of earned himself now that backup role, and as long as he continues to play uh, some, you know, some defense, you know that on the offensive side, you get him the ball down low. He is, as I wrote about over the weekend, going to try to absolutely stuff that ball down your throat. Yeah, he has a nose for the basket. I love the fact that he's so offensive oriented and defensively, he tries. Like you can knock him for a couple plays here and there, but his effort is unmatched. I think that's why the fans uh, love. Zarek so much. Whenever he dunks it, the fans just get so pumped and so yep. riled up. You know, he goes up for that one and gets the and one basket. So uh, he just does a lot of things. I love the fact that Ken Palm breaks down the amount of minutes per game on percentages that they play. So, like for example, Titus Verhoeven has played seventy-two percent of all minutes this year at the center position. Zarek Onyema this year is slotted in at number two. To go to your point, Steve, twenty-one percent of the minutes this year has have gone to uh, Zarek Onyema with only 5% to Bonky Maring. So that kind of shows you their distribution at the center position. Where's Kalu in the mix? Uh, he's not even listed. He's like at 2% right now. See, and Kalu was getting the minutes up until um, probably about six to eight weeks ago, and that's when really he started to fall off. Yeah, he got that uh, all-freshman all honor uh, from Conference USA in non-conference play, and then he started to tail off a little bit. I mean, defenses adjusted easily to him. He's yep. a raw player. He, he uh, uh, doesn't bring you too much yet offensively, although I, I have some confidence in his upside at that spot. So, uh, yeah, they just moved on from Kalu, and they, they're right. riding with Maring, Onyema, and Verhoeven. 100% right. 100% correct. Um, yet, when I watch Z play, okay, and, and it's hard to explain this, but 
When you watch 99% of the big men that play basketball, college, NBA, whatever, and they get the ball in the post, they will put the ball on the floor at least once. They will. And there is a very good chance that they will either be fouled or could lose the ball because as as defenders know that ball is going to be dribbled once to get better position, teams will try and take that ball away from you. Z is the only player I think I've seen in the last 20 years that when he gets the ball, as long as it's within a jumping distance of the basket, he's not putting it on the he's not going to put it on the floor. He's not going to even move. He is going to simply elevate and try to dunk the basketball. And it's so interesting because when my dad was alive, as I wrote about in the story, it drove him nuts how when he would see big men put it on the floor, they would lose the ball. And he said, you're 6'8", you're 7 feet. Dunk the basketball. You have that advantage. Just go up strong. Don't worry about trying to dribble yourself into better position. Just elevate and dunk. And it seems like Onyema's got that part down. Like, he gets the ball. You know what he's going to do with it. However, the downside is, is that if he gets fouled, he has to become a better foul shooter because the reason you're not seeing more minutes from Z, especially in crunch time, is, hey, I would foul him every time. He's a one-of-eight foul shooter this season, and when I've seen him this year, you could tell he needs a lot of work shooting foul shots because if he wants to earn more minutes, especially on the floor playing offense, uh, and he gets hacked more, Adrian, he's going to have to become a better foul shooter. And at this point, I would take 50%, just something that when he goes to the line, you know he's got a chance to not have to just come up empty. Yeah, and that way he can actually crave more of that contact. You know, if he's going up knowing that he can make those free throws like Joel Embiid can, yep. like Kenneth Lofton Jr. can, That's those are the kind of games that he's try, he has to try to emulate because there's no doubt about it. He will draw that contact down low when he gets it. Oh, and, and to your point, Steve, about putting the ball on the ground, watch Jamari Sibley. Promise you, every time he gets it, he's going to put the ball on the ground. He could be he could be a, a foot away from the basket. He's going to put the ball on the ground at least once, and that's what's frustrating about him. But going back to Onyema, uh, I go back to even a phone call with with his dad. Kingsley called in on minor talk on Saturday. I heard talked about how you know the he didn't really get that opportunity last year, but this year those opportunities have been there for him to actually take those shots and to be uh, to come off the bench and give the minors a spark. And he's made the most of them. Oh, without a doubt, he's made the most of them. It's been pretty. It's been fun to watch. It, it really has. But. I'll tell you right now, from a potential standpoint, he's already got the NBA body. It's, it's already there. And he's and you can see he can play physical. He's not afraid about contact, which is good. All he needs to do is learn the game. Learn the game, especially on the defensive side. And shoot as many free throws as he possibly can. I'm telling you. You get him into the gym and you let him shoot 500 free throws a day, by the time next season rolls around, you're going to see a much better basketball player from the foul line. And given what his game is about on the offensive side, that's going to be key. Because like Sule Boom, he makes a living from the foul line. And you want to know something? Onyema can do the same thing if he can just work on getting that, getting his foul shooting improved and really trying to uh, you know, just become a better foul shooter. Yeah, we see it all the time in the NBA. These bigs have uh, really put an emphasis on their free throw shooting because when you uh, allow yourself to become a better free throw shooter and you work at it, then you're, you're really a, a tough opponent, uh, I mean a tough player to go up against. You can draw that contact, you can make those and one plays, and you can also convert when you hit that free throw. 
We want to start this now. We'll we'll keep this going for the next, uh, really, three days. But my question to you is this. How far can the Miners go in the Conference USA Tournament as a four-seed in the West? 880-5763 is our telephone number. We've got two lines available. We'll get to Jerry and more phone calls in a moment, but that's what I want to know. How far can this team go in the Conference USA Tournament? Let me get your thoughts on that as we head over to Charlie One and get this traffic update. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue, two lines are available, 880-5763. That is our telephone number. One of the questions we're asking this hour, how many games do you think the Miners can win in this Conference USA tournament? How deep can they go? By the way, um, I, I, you know, I should have said this earlier, but um, you have done a terrific job, along with Sal from Minor Talk, these last uh, three years, uh, however long it's been since we've had the contract, three, four years, and uh, you really uh, should put get, you should pat yourself on the back because you guys uh, have taken uh, that show to a new level. There's a reason why we don't get many calls on Sports Talk about the basketball team and football team because most of them come on Minor Talk, and by the time we come on the air, it's already been discussed. Uh, that has become appointment listening, and it's because of what you guys have done. So uh, take a bow. Congratulations, because Minor Talk is a terrific terrific show on this radio station thank you so much Stephen. I, I really appreciate you i appreciate kevin i appreciate john teicher and of course uh sal montes for all the work that they've done on minor talk it's been a great time this whole year and uh can't wait to finish it out on a high note absolutely we'll keep things moving right now let's go to jerry on the mobile two lines are open 880-5763 jerry what's going on how are you how you doing steve it was great to see you at the game i really really enjoyed it me and my son rob I thought it was fantastic. I thought the Miners played with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, and it brought back memories from the old times when uh, the Don was full and the fans were going crazy, and it, it was just an atmosphere that uh, would compare with any in the nation. really did, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think the Miners um, at least can win two games. I'm hoping, you know, like I said, I'm eternal optimist that they could go and win the tournament, but like I said, I'm not going to put my hopes up that high, but I'm hoping we can at least win two games. Um, You know what? Let's put it this way. If they win two, then that means that puts them into the semis, uh, which really would be nice, and I think for uh, the first year, it also gives them 20 wins. So let's look at it that way, too. They're 18-12 right now. That would put them at 20-13 and for the first season uh, for Joe Golding, and I'll tell you, I think you uh, and every other minor fan would take it Although, you know, you want to see them go farther, maybe go go deeper. But I do think two victories, and Adrian, will you talk to that, about that on Minor Talk, that would be a, a really good first season given the, the talent pool on this team. Oh, it would be fantastic, Steve. It would be unbelievable. I'd, I'd be really thrilled with that if, if they could come through with that. And I wanted to ask you a question, just theoretically, what – how good could the Miners be, or if there wouldn't be much difference if they had kept Bryson Williams and uh, FEODG, you know, if they had still been on the team? I know that would have been less time for other players, but yeah. what? Well, how do you envision 
what the team could have been with those two guys. I mean, listen, just, just, the, listen here's the thing. The what-if game, right? We always like to play the what-if what game. If, right? Well, obviously, Bryson made the right move. He is first-team right. All-Big 12 and now has a legitimate shot at getting drafted in the NBA draft uh, coming up. And he's got a legitimate shot at going to the Final Four, you know? I mean, he goes to UTEP, and yeah, he could play in the NCAA tournament. He's at Texas Tech. They could be... Um, you know, forget a Sweet 16 team. They could be a Final Four team. So uh, Bryson showed everybody that he is capable of playing at the highest level in one of the best conferences in college basketball, and he's a first-team all-league all player. So we all knew what, what Bryson could do, but I think Mark Adams put together a group of players around Bryson where his talents were able to show and rise to the top just like Joe would have had. Listen, Bryson stays here. This is a tur- this is a team that right now should be the number one seed in Conference USA, not even close, and would be the team to beat. Oh, absolutely. I really agree with you with that. And how far do you think New Mexico State can go, provided they don't lose any players to injury with their current roster? How far do you think they could go? Because well, they off, look to me like they're really talented. I mean, first off, they've had their slip ups. I'm not going to lie to you. They lost Stephen F. Right. Austin at home, which never should have happened. So they've had no. they're 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 a scary team because they a they should win the they should win the WAC tournament. There's no doubt about that. Uh, that's right. you know they they don't play till Friday. So they as a number oh. one seed, they're already in the semis. So all they have to do is win two games, which should be a, a cakewalk for them. But this right. has been one of those weird years because they're loaded. I watched. I've, I've watched Teddy Allen. He's the player of the of the year in the conference, and he's unbelievable. But they can also they can slip up. They're ne- they're not a lock. But if they win right. the whack, I could absolutely see New Mexico State winning a tournament game. Not even close. Right. They they a- should. Absolutely. One final question, Steve. Before I go, is it is it a rumor or is it uh, just something? I I just saw it on the. Uh, on the internet about Aaron Rodgers being in talks with, with uh, the Steelers. Um, and I don't know if that's, like I said, fake news, but a friend of mine showed it to me, and I said I couldn't believe it. But uh, I don't want to get my hopes up high because I think Green Bay is going to make him a big offer that he just can't refuse, the biggest offer ever. Well, I wouldn't be you surprised know? if they do, and, and I'm with you on that one. From what I was told – the Steelers have interest, but it's lukewarm right now because they just don't expect him to hit the market. And if they do, right. they don't think they're going to get a shot at him. But, yeah, they've got interest. It's just not like Denver. And, of course, my son, Rob, is a big Denver fan, and he's hoping that, that, that he goes with Denver. But, like I said, I told him not to get his hopes up. And, like I said, I really don't think, honestly, that Rodgers or Russell Wilson are going anywhere. And, uh, also, Tom Brady's not coming out of retirement, so... Let's put that those all three those three things to rest. Yeah, there you go. Well, if Tom Brady does come out of retirement, I mean, some you know, some people believe he's going to San Francisco, but I'm not. I'm not ready to just uh, start that right now. There's no way. Well, that's what I was. That's what I was talking about. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen. All right. But like I said, it's good. It's good talk, and it's uh, interesting. And let's see what happens, Steve. Yep, absolutely. All right, good job. Appreciate Take the phone care. call. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Steve. You got it. 27 past as we continue here on Sports Talk. Let's go to Domingo. He's joining us next on the phone lines. Domingo, always a pleasure when you call. How you doing? How you doing, Cappy? Good, Domingo. First of all, did you hear about the bad news in Querétaro with those Atlas and Querétaro rolling, unfortunately, again? Well, first off, I mean, look, 
there were a lot of people that got hurt. Uh, a few of them were critically injured. Um, you know, you had brawls in the stands that went into the pitch and scary situation. I'll tell you what was scary. I watched the video. What was scary were watching families come down with their kids to try to get away from all that stuff. That, to me, is what was frightening about that is is not necessarily, you know, you, you realize what it's like for the players and, and, that, and that, but it's the families. You know, a lot of people take their kids. And if you watch the video of that fight when it breaks out and people start streaming yeah. onto the field, there were plenty of people with little kids, and they were scared. And that, to yeah. me, is what's so frightening about this. Yeah, and I already saw the video on social media. And in my view, it was the Queretaro fans who instigated the fight. And we all know this is not the first time that the Atlas and the Queretaro fans were fighting the Corregidora. A couple of years ago, those Atlas people started it. And, then well, a few years and here's, later, here's the thing, too, okay? Uh, players are starting to get death threats. Queretaro players are starting to get death threats from their fans. So they don't feel safe. The wives are now wanting to get out of there with the kids, and uh, it's it's a scary situation. I, I mean, you know, you just wonder yeah. again how that you know how this whole thing has escalated. But that's pretty yeah, uh, yeah that that's pretty scary stuff. And and obviously, if you are um, you know, um, I guess his name is uh, Mikhail Ariola from uh, Liga Mekis, the president. He's got to figure out a way to 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 keep this from getting worse. Yeah, maybe they should do like the Premier League does recognize who are the troublemakers and kick them out. And you know what? For the people who started it, give them lifetime bans. Ban them for life from the Corregidora and, and every stadium in Mexico, and including the Stadio Azteca when the national team plays. But Yeah, but you know it's easier said than done doing that in Mexico. Come on. Yeah, and we already know in a couple of weeks we're going to have the big CONCACAF derby against USA and Mexico, which I'm rooting for the red, white, and blue. It's, let's just hope they... Let's just hope those Queretaro fans don't go to the Azteca and go on the top one and, and start another ball with, with America. Well, let's, let's hope not, Domingo. Hey, appreciate the phone call, man. Good to hear from you as always. Yeah, that was a crazy scene over the weekend. Really was. That was really ugly. All over social media, you saw it go, like you were saying, going into the stands. It was a bad, bad look. Oh, terrible. I mean, the fight started in the stands, and then it started escalating on the field. Yeah, it was. it, was, it just got out of hand completely. Exactly. And it was during the match. Man, that's terrible. Bottom of the hour. Sports talk continues. Let's go right now over to Adrian and get one last Sports Center update. All right, Adrian. Thank you very much. We continue uh, here on Sports Talk 8805763. That is our telephone number. Still to come. Adrian's movie review. We'll have that before you wrap things up, and we're going to save the movie. But, man, oh, man, it is another classic that Adrian is going to be talking about here with us today. So we'll do that for you. Um, We also want to find out, and we'll do this again tomorrow on the show when we come on after the UTEP women's game, how many do you think the men are going to be able to win? Uh, Jerry on the mobile said two I think that if you were if you were to put a poll, we should probably put a poll up on the website here pretty soon, Adrian, and let people chime in before Wednesday's first game. So maybe we make it for two days starting now. Um, I bet you two would probably be the majority of uh, how many votes would go win two games. I think so, and I, I think if we did this poll after Saturday, people would say four and and you know be super excited about their victory against North Texas. But you know to to go down a little bit off uh, expectations going into this tournament. Look, Steve, this team hasn't won a conference USA tournament game 
in five years. So that's one of the things. Get over the hump. Defeat Old Dominion. So then you have momentum going up against Middle Tennessee on Thursday, which the Blue Raiders at that point, they had they wouldn't have had to play a game. They they would have just been uh, advanced to the semifinal round uh, just to begin with at that point, or the, the quarterfinal round, whatever round that is. But the point is, the Miners will have 40 minutes under them. That's that's significant for UTEP at that point, and I think that that will help them if they're able to get that first win. The last time UTEP won a tournament game, Tim Floyd was head coach. That's right. That should yeah. tell you something right there. But there's a lot of things that Joe Golding has done this season that date back to Floyd as head coach. There are, and another one is a 20-win season. They haven't had a 20-win season since 2015, and that that season they were real strong. They were second in Conference USA. They actually had more expectations, you can argue, than this year. This year they didn't have a lot of expectations, and they've overachieved by all measures. Didn't they have Vince Hunter in 2015, or was he already gone? No, that's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that's just, you start to think about that. Yeah, it's and, and that's already been seven years, folks. Seven years is the last time they won 20 games. Yeah, that was my first year covering this team. Irvin Morris on the squad, along with Cedric Lang, Julian Washburn, CJ Cooper, and of course, Omega Harris. Okay, along with Vince Hunter. That's right. Vince wow. Hunter led them at 15 points a game and nearly 10 rebounds. Good basketball team, then. Good basketball team. So you're right. But I mean, that's, just, that's the thing. Um, I don't think anybody would argue that Joe Golding has gotten the most out of his team this year. I mean, I really believe that's the case. And there's some players you could say you would wish they could take and like you could see their game elevate. Um, I'll give you one, for example, and that's probably Christian Agnew. Yeah. I was really hoping that Agnew's game would would take the next step, especially on the offensive side this year, and it hasn't. And you could say some of that is because of the guard depth, and other than, other than that is when he's played, he just hasn't been able in games to show the kind of ability that he had prior to coming here. Yeah, and Agnew was somebody at Northern Alabama who averages, uh, averaged double figures in scoring. So I'm not sure what his future is necessarily. I know he's a good defensive specialist so he's still valuable at some degree Steve but I'm with you completely with Agnew I mean Saucy last year he was a solid player this year only averaging four points off the bench with two rebounds and that's it I mean you know he's he's a solid defender and if he could put it together offensively and get a shot going uh, then he would be a well-rounded player no doubt no doubt so it's amazing how uh, Jarrell Satterfield's game tailed off since I wrote that story about him. Unbelievable. I, I mean, he was banging home three after three for a good run and was averaging, you see, like he was in double figures almost yeah. every game, and all of a sudden, boom. It just completely came to a stop. Yeah, his game log just dropped. I mean, he's six and a half points per game now, two rebounds. But uh, for me, for Satterfield, I wanted to see him become a better defender as the year got on, and yeah. that just wasn't the case, Steve. I, I think that Satterfield, in my in my perspective, I think that he has high upside as as the years go on for him. Remember, he's only a sophomore, and he is he's coming from the JUCO ranks, so it's still a lot to get adjusted to. But I I have uh, you know optimism that he can turn things around defensively and then still be a sharpshooter. I think best case scenario for Jarrell Satterfield, you have him as your 6th, 7th man and you get him off the bench and he's your sharpshooter, three-point specialist that you rely on to give you some juice offensively. But I feel like opponents got the book on him finally and they figured out a way to like deny him the basketball and get him out of his rhythm and once they started doing that, it it completely changed his game. Yeah, and I felt like uh, in that road swing when they went to Louisiana Tech, they beat uh, Southern Miss in that one and lost to Middle Tennessee 
see. You saw him at least attempt one three-pointer game. Now you're you're not even seeing him on the court, Steve. He, he can't get off the bench in, yep. in this last week. Uh, so I, I don't know what we're going to see from Terrell Satterfield this week. I think if you'd have to sum up his game is, you know, a strong campaign for a junior college player. I mean, for somebody who went from the junior college ranks, who started uh, primarily a lot of these games this year for the minors, right. uh, he is somebody who had a, a good season. He just has to take his game to another level. Fair enough. 37 pass. The sports talk continues. All right, let's go to our awards from Minor Talk on Saturday. If you listened, presented by the Oscar Adietta Allstate Agency, you heard the um, hot hand of the game from Wind Supply of El Paso. Who was our hot hand winner? It was Keontae Kennedy in this one. We liked what he was able to do his third game back and his third double-digit performance for Keontae Kennedy has been so valuable to this team. And when I talked to Joe Golding uh, today about Keontae Kennedy, he loves the fact that he can guard one through five and that'll really help him this Conference USA tournament. So Keontae Kennedy was our hot hand of the game. If you're wondering who is Wind Supply of El Paso, we talk about them all the time. Well, let me tell you, if you own a home building or general contracting company, you need that reliable AC and furnace supply store. That is what Wind Supply of El Paso is. 32,000 square foot warehouse, which holds exactly what you need, especially for Master Cool and Champion. And if you are listening to the show and you need a, a new unit for your home, all you need to do is go to the Find a Dealer tab at windsupplyelpaso.com and there are dealers all around El Paso, every part of the city, with phone numbers and names to put you in touch with. Tell them you heard it on Sports Talk and you want to get to have them take care of you the way uh, they always do at windsupplyelpaso.com. Now, our player of the game uh, brought to you by Keith Southwest. Who is our player of the game? It was Sule Boom, which was which had such a weird, weird performance. I mean, two points in the first half, like we talked about earlier, 20 in the second half. Sule Boom has now tied Roy Smallwood to become the 10th all-time scorer in program history. I, I find uh, you know, I find Sule Boom to be one of the most underappreciated scorers in UTEP history. He was honored on senior day, yep. as was uh, Keontae Kennedy, and uh, he was our player of the game in this one I did the math I don't think boom can break Stefan if he comes back next year just based on the point differential between the two but he'll probably be top three or top four when it's all said and done I thought I was the only person being nerdy with the numbers on the pace, Steve, but I thought the same thing. I actually was thinking less than you. I was thinking like, ah, maybe top five. That's yeah. that's good right there. But I'm glad to see that somebody else looked up those numbers too. He'd have to drop like 35 a game next year to, in order to break the yeah. all-time record. So. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's possible. No. I'm with you on that one. Hey, Keith Southwest, folks, leading the industry in precision metal stamping. What does that mean? That means they make uh, metal components for medical, automotive, home automation and security, electronics, appliance, also agriculture, renewable energy, and so much more. You want to learn more about what Keith Southwest can do for you? Check them out. KeatsSW.com. We'll wrap it up with our final countdown to get Adrian's movie review next. Sports Talk continues right here, 600 ESPN El Paso.